Welcome to the Breaching Extinction Podcast. This is the third episode. Um, so today I'll be talking with Leah Talvez. Uh, she's a naturalist and nature writer. She has previously worked as a dolphin and whale researcher um, and director for the Ocean, the Ocean Mammal Institute. Um, additionally, she has worked as a naturalist on boats uh, throughout the United States and is famous for her New York Times best-selling book, The Secret Life of Owls, and has since published a second book titled The Breath of a Whale, Absolutely one of my favorite books. Um, her work has also been published in the American Nature Writing, Sierra Club Books, Smithsonian Magazine, um, and many others. So definitely a very knowledgeable person. Um, so I was wondering if you could just, like, tell me a little bit about how you got started working with whales. I saw my first whale in 1992. It was a humpback whale, and it literally changed my life. Um, I had been working as a drug and alcohol rehab counselor, and I knew I was done with that, but I didn't know what my next step was. And when I saw my first whale, I was just so moved by the immensity of the creature and just the mysterious world they live in, and I just I fell in love. They're so fascinating. I just knew that I wanted to know more about them. I wanted to spend time with them. I wanted to get to know about their lives. Absolutely. Yeah, there definitely, there's something about whales that are um, unique to everybody else, uh, like to, like all other animals. They seem to have, like, definitely, like, more intelligence. Um, so what inspires you most about these animals? You know, they live in the ocean, and we have no idea what that's like. I mean, we're so in, you know, our lives are focused on vision and sight for the most part. Um, and they have to live on sound and because there's not a lot of visibility in the water and their lives are just so different from ours. Yeah. I just, I find fascinated. Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely interesting how like, you know, we all have, we have the same, um, senses that like some animals use them differently than others. And there's, you know, there's no way that we can really know how that affects them. Uh, but it's, it's interesting to study. These animals are like so mesmerizing. Um, so um, this podcast is kind of focused on the Southern residents, uh, the Southern whales. Do you mind telling me a little bit about some experiences that you've had with them? Um, I worked as, as a naturalist on uh, whale watching boats. And what strikes me most about them is their ability to change people's minds and change their hearts about the whales themselves and all of nature. Um, one of my favorite stories is a time when I uh, was a naturalist on a boat for sort of a, a group that was, you know, business, and it was sort of a reward, like they'd the top people in the company when I don't know what it was, but it was a business retreat kind of a thing. And we started out and I was trying to talk to people about whales and they just wanted, they were talking about their work, their business, what they, you know, they were, you know, networking in between themselves and they didn't seem all that interested in nature around them, which was kind of shocking to me because we're out there in the San Juans and it's beautiful and, they just didn't seem very aware. But then the whales came over. And experience with the southern residents, 
is that they are focused on their lives. They're focused on finding enough food, and they kind of seem to ignore the boats for the most part. But on this particular day, and I'm pretty sure it was L-Pod, so members of L-Pod, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, came over to the boat and gave us a really close approach. And you could see them gliding under the water, and their white spots were glowing green through the plankton. Mm-hmm. And they, I was looking over the side, and they were looking up at the people on the boat. And these people that didn't seem to care were looking over the side and cheering and just totally transformed by the magic of these whales. And that's a, just an experience I'll never forget. And I've seen it time and again. People change around whales. Yeah, I I absolutely, you know, have seen that as well. I work as a naturalist in the San Juans right now. Um, and, like, it's just so interesting to see how they, they're able to connect with people and, like, form those kind of, like, emotional bonds, I think, more so than other animals. Yeah. Um, why do you think, you know, that people feel so connected to whales? Well, I you know, in a strange kind of way, I think they're almost easier to see than like a bear or a wolf in the forest, like those big mammals that kind of get our attention, they're really hard to see. And Mm -hmm. if you ever see one, you're really lucky. And it's not that you're not lucky when you see whales, but they have to come to the surface to breathe, so they're easier to find. We're not looking through trees. We're not looking, you know, at something running away for the most part. Whales are there. Mm-hmm. And from time to time, they do show curiosity about us, and you know, yeah, they're big. <laughs> they get our attention when other things maybe don't. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, do you think that maybe whales have like certain characteristics that other animals don't, or is it maybe like that we just don't, like, that these animals are just so well-studied that they seem more interesting? Like, kind of what's your perspective on that? Well, I actually think we know less about whales than we do about some of the land mammals. I mean, they're so hard to study. As much as we can see them out there, we know very little about their lives, especially, you know, the really deep water whales. And, And the southern residents, I think they are becoming even more of a mystery than we thought. Um for a number of reasons. I mean, now they're spending less time in the San Juans. They're going somewhere. And just this last week, they've shown up in Puget Sound and they're looking healthy. They're, the scientists have said they don't see any more peanut head in them, which is a sign that they're not getting enough food. They're burning through their blubber layer and they don't see that anymore. So they've gone somewhere and they've found food somewhere but we have no idea what's going on. Yeah, and I know there's not, like, trackers on them at the moment or anything just because of different regulations. So it's like we don't know where they're going either. Um, Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I think for such a well-studied animal, there's so much that we don't know, and that's something that I realize more and more, like, the time I spend on the water. And they just, like, they're constantly surprising us. Like, for pe- like you know, to think about the fact that so many people have been infatuated with these animals and spent so much time with them, there's still so much that we don't know. Um, yeah. What do you, really? like, you know, what to you stands out about the southern residents 
Um, or do you just like have any other stories about them that have been particularly impactful? Well, I think the thing that's one of the things that I love about them so much is this, their family structure and their really tight familial bonds. Mm -hmm. I mean, the other story that I really remember is the time, um, this was in the late nineties when L pod got trapped in Dyes Inlet, which is down here in sort of the central Puget Sound near Bremerton and Silverdale. And they were in there for like a month. And they obviously weren't feeding because they were starting to get thin. They were starting to see peanut head in those whales that they hadn't seen that before in. And there was not, so they assumed that there was just not food for them there. But they didn't leave. And they didn't leave because... The youngest member, um, I think her name was Nurka, a little female, was really afraid of the sound that was generated by cars driving over these bridges that the Ow. narrows that they went through. And mm. so the entire pod did not leave for a month because this little whale was too afraid to go through this psychological barrier of this noise. Aww. And so on the day that they did leave, her older brother, she was there with her mother on the other side of the sound, and the rest of, of them had gone under the bridge. But she was there, and her older brother went back and swam with them under this bridge and got them out. Aww. That's, that's, I haven't heard that story before. That's literally so sweet. Um, wow, it's so interesting that, like, they're able to help each other overcome emotional obstacles as well, just kind of like people do. They yeah. really are not, they're not that different at all. It's like, it's kind of uncanny how many similarities they have to people. And it honestly seems to me sometimes like they have more empathy or more altruism than humans do. Yeah. I sometimes wonder about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, what have you learned from the whales, are like, are there, are there lessons that you carry into your own life based on your experiences with them? That's a really good question. I think, um, you know, one of the things I finally realized after I had stopped my work up there in the sound, I had a, a daughter, and so it became very difficult for me to work as a naturalist, but I went up another time and I realized that they were going with the tide. I mean, when I was working up there, they spent a lot of time in the San Juans, and so they would go up and back San Juan Island, the west side of San Juan Island. It was just like you could set your clock by it almost. And I finally realized that they would turn with the tide, and so when the tide was going out, they were going south, looking for fish, but they... You know, they saved energy that way. Yeah. And they, you know, they were always looking for fish, and that's always what they're doing. But they didn't try to go against the current. And so that's a big thing in my life. I often want to try to buck the system or go against the current. And I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah, I can 100% relate. Like, they're just, you know, going with it. And sometimes you're just supposed to go with it. And I feel like, you know... We're all stubborn and do that. But, yeah, that's definitely, like, always a good thing to be, like, reminded of. I think these oh, animals have so, 
Yeah, exactly. You know, because life's going to take you where it's going to take you and you can resist it or you can go with it. And you're totally right. That's something that, you know, we should carry into our lives that they do. Um, it would save a lot of people a lot of energy and stress, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of, like, issue and controversy going on, like, with the Southern residents right now. What do you think are the main issues that are going on or if there's, like, a single main issue and how do we combat that? Well, I I really do think the biggest issue for them is food. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, you know, the other issues – uh, you know, about the toxins in their systems and the inbreeding of the pod. I don't know if we can figure that out for them. Mm-hmm. It's a result. It is a result of our actions. And it's almost like nature will take its course. And I don't think in those two particular instances, um, I don't, think we can know what will happen. And I think that is one of the biggest reasons for hope is that mm-hmm. we don't know what can happen. And I think the one of the biggest examples of that is I don't think we thought of them as leaving Puget Sound or leaving the San Juans. Right. And going out and going to hunt somewhere else. But mm-hmm. they have done that. They have adapted. And so they're taking care of the food issue for now, and I think we have to do more to help them to – salmon need to be restored for their own sake because those populations mm-hmm. are also endangered, and I think we need to restore the salmon for the orcas. Yeah. And absolutely. so um, – I do think dams are a big issue, huge issue. I think that's probably right up there, one, two, or three. I also think noise is a huge mm-hmm. issue for them. Um, they, you know, I don't know if they left because of the noise or because there's no fish. I mean, there's no way to know, really. Mm-hmm. But these tankers and container ships that are coming in and out are extremely loud and then put on top of it, you know, all our little boats running around. And so I just think that noise is a huge impact on their lives that I don't think we look at closely enough. There is one study um, out of Vancouver, uh, BC, that said that came to the conclusion that they're losing about five hours of their day to noise. Wow. Their day of foraging for food. And so they're already on the brink of not having a lot to find, but then they're losing that amount of time in a day to find food. So, you know, that's, it's a huge issue. Huh. That's, yeah, that's like a pretty significant amount of time. And how many hours a day do they usually spend feeding? Um, I don't know exactly how it breaks down, but they're, you know, they do their, they rest for a period of Mm -hmm. time and I'm not sure like how many hours out of the day. Right. And then, you know, they do spend time socializing and I Mm -hmm. imagine that if they're not finding enough food, those activities get less of their attention than foraging. I think that's probably 
their main activity, and they will spend probably as much time as they need to to keep enough finding enough fish to eat. For sure. That makes sense. I mean, that's really good to see that they are you know, healthy again. And I think that's another one of the things that we can learn from like whales is resilience and adaptability. And like, you know, there's a lot of people I think that can relate to having to leave, you know, their homeland as a result of lack of resources or something like that. And, you know, these whales seem to still be able to maintain their culture and, um, you know, continue to move through life and adapt. So I think that that's really interesting as well. It um, is, really. And then they're so intelligent. Of course they're going to do that. Mm-hmm. And who knows, you know, we think we know the social and breeding structure. We think we know what's going on, but we don't know that they don't go out there with the offshores. We don't know that they don't meet the northern residents somewhere. Now that they've left, they may realize, oh, we can't do this anymore. Yeah. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, we we definitely we don't know those. Um, I'm currently reading Endangered Orcas by Monica Shields, and I literally was just reading a section that was talking about how there's a couple different like universal calls that seem to be instinct within like a lot of like the killer whale pods, like transients, offshores, and residents, which is insane to me. So like, you know, they could be out there connecting with them, and yeah, we have no way of knowing that. Right. Um, yeah. It's crazy. Um, so with the whole issue with salmon and the dams, um, I've done like a little bit of research and I went down to the lower snake river dams, to try to talk to people down there and just get more information. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the different articles that I've read, it seems like from an economic standpoint, it makes sense. And like a cultural standpoint, it, you know, it's a little wishy-washy because people would have to, you know, get new jobs, but it seems like overall, like for energy, the environment, and the economy, it makes sense to take them down. Do you have any insight as to why, like, they're still not coming down? Well, you know, I think humans are really resistant to change. And, you know, I have also gone there and talked to some people about the dams, and it's like, we've always done it this way, so we're always going to do it this way, and that would rock our boat too much to take them down. But it really you know, change. Yeah. We have forced the orcas to change their behavior. And so, you know, compassion-wise, maybe it's a good idea for us to change a little. Yeah, I agree. It's huge, though, and I understand that it's really hard to do that and to think about that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I think people would adapt. We are very adaptable as well. Oh, absolutely. It's just that fear of change that, you know, kind of stops us in our tracks for a while. Yeah. But, you know, if we were forced to do it and it may, you know, who knows what will happen. But, you know, nature could force us to change. And then those dams would, you know, I don't know what could happen. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. I definitely think that, you know, if we continue to try to push and force nature to change, nature will eventually, I mean, obviously, like, with climate change, it's going to come back and it's going to make us change. So we have to find that compromise somewhere. And I just think that's something that we're really bad at. Um, And, like, you know, looking at the whole situation with the dams, I feel like we could, you know, the money that would be saved from, you know, well, taking them down, not having to maintain them, we could put that back into the communities or back into, like, investing into jobs out there. Um, Yeah. 
but it just seems like a whole mess. And I just like, you know, part of the reason of doing this podcast is like, I don't know where to start with all of this. And there's so much information on the killer whales and there's like not, it just seems like there's so many scientists and so many organizations working to make this better, but we're getting nowhere still. Um, and so I just kind of want to start a conversation and I want to find out more and take people on this journey of like figuring out what's going on with the whales and how we can help them like on an individual level. And also just like as people, um, you know, what we can do to make changes. But I think we just need a cultural shift because you're right. People are not willing to change. Um, and it's just like, how do you do that? I don't know. <laughs> well, one thing that I have to remind myself of a lot and I, sometimes I, this is a daily thing that I'm doing, uh, is that we are changing. I mean, we look at, you know, where we've come from, especially with these orcas, you know, Ted Griffin bringing Namu down here to Seattle, the waterfront, and people being all excited to see this whale in captivity, and how they, and I wrote about this in The Breath of the Whale, about how they brought him down here and what they were thinking and it's it's really an incredible story, and no one would think that today. No one would think that his family was having a great time cavorting behind the boat. Nobody yeah. would think that. Everybody would think, oh, my God, they're taking him, they're stealing him, they're, you know. Right. Nobody would think he was having a good time. Right. And so, you know, if we look over the spectrum of years, and now, you know, with Blackfish coming out and the, you know, the uprising about we don't want orcas in captivity anymore, we returned Springer home, that was Mm -hmm. a sea change. Um, All these things have happened, and if we look at it over time, we are changing. And sometimes, for me, it's much too slow. Yeah. And I have to take a step back and go, but we are changing. Yeah. We are changing. And I think another thing that we have to keep in mind is some of these things are engineering problems, like mm-hmm. plastics in the ocean. That, I mean, it's human behavior that's caused that, but I think it's an engineering solution. And then there's other things that are like human cultural things, like the will to take down the dams. Right. And those things seem to take a little more time than kind of the engineering solutions. Yeah. No, absolutely. Cause people, you know, they don't want to change and maybe that's some kind of survival instinct, but I mean, you know, it makes sense. You want to maintain your culture, but we've, you know, we've changed so much. If you look at it like over the span of time, holistically, like in the past hundred years, we've made so many changes. So, you know, mm-hmm. might as well keep making them and the dams, you know, it, to my understanding, they were put up in like the sixties or something. So, People, there are still people that are alive when there were, you know, no dams up that say that they right, exactly. go back the way it was. Um, so there's like a lot of perspectives. And I think that we just need to like stop being lazy and confront our issues, confront our mistakes and like, you know, try to make an effort to help the environment. But you're totally right. You know, things are changing slowly. And I think, you know, those of us that have a passion for animals and the environment, we want to see it change right away. But, you know, it's not... <laughs> It's not that yeah. fast, unfortunately. Yeah. It's a, it's a slow process. And, you know, it, it, is, it, is, it is changing. That's all mm-hmm. that I know. Yeah, it definitely is. 
And, you know, that goes to show that the whales kind of go through the similar trials in life that we do. Um, you know, they're trying to adapt and they have to change their culture based on things. And, you know, we should adapt as well because we just need to find compromise and balance. Um, but I think, you know, studying these animals, it's interesting because we learn a lot about, you know, just like emotions and, you know, going through life. I feel like there's so much we can learn from them in that sense. But um, sometimes saying that is like a little bit difficult because it may not sound like scientific. But, you know, we learn so much about their biology and everything as well. Um, but I think that they definitely help us to reconnect to the planet. Um, it's just interesting. I think that's one of the main things that they do for us. And I think that is a place that we are right now in our society that is of utmost importance, Mm -hmm. that we reconnect with nature. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been reading or been learning a little bit about nature deficit disorder in children. And it's almost like a physical illness Mm -hmm. that can be turned around through connection with nature. And... It's it's really amazing, and the whales are out there for us, and yeah. we, you know, they're so they're so important in ways that we can't really put monetary value on, and that seems to be, you know, the biggest thing that we do is if we can't put monetary value, then it has no value, and I think you know we need to change that obviously, and oh, yeah, yeah. So I think whales are important in just so many ways that we can't really even quantify. Yeah, I definitely have noticed, like, in reading about these different issues, that's a theme that's come up. Um, I'm helping a wildlife photographer work on a documentary, and um, I was like, you know, I think that we should look at the economics of it because it seems like that's what people really care about at the end of the day. And I think that that is just so sad that people have kind of, you know, reduced themselves to a number because at the end of the day, when you look at it, that's not, you know, that's not associated with happiness. And it's like those connections and being outside are, and we've just gotten so disconnected. I just think as like humans, we could all heal from being in nature. And it's so sad to me that so many people just don't know about nature. Um, And I think, you know, that's one of the goals of these conversations is to bridge that gap and maybe inspire people to get out there and go, see things or just to better understand what's going on. Um, but I, I think that's something that, that we're lacking up here in the San Juan is like some kind of community um, outreach. Like there's the whale museum, which is super awesome. Um, but I feel like there could be more um, out here and that would be really helpful. I think it takes all of us really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not a whale watch naturalist anymore, but I'm mm-hmm. a writer. And so yeah. I, I feel like I, you know, I put these books out and I, I try to say that in my books. Mm-hmm. That's my, the point of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so there, that, there's that kind of thing. Then there are people out on the water like yourself, which mm-hmm. is absolutely essential that we have people taking, you know, other folks out and telling them about the whales' lives and, and seeing whales in person. I mean, I can write about it for, you know, till the day ends. And yeah, it's not the same as going out to see a whale for yourself. And we are so fortunate here in Puget Sound that you can stand on the shore sometimes and see whales out there. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the most incredible thing. I grew up in Ohio on a farm, and I was far from any ocean, so I never had the chance. But my daughter has the chance to go out and stand on the shore and watch whales. I mean, yeah. I find that incredible. Yeah. I didn't realize that you grew up in Ohio. I also grew up in Ohio, so oh. that either. But my passion I, for marine mammals started by going to the Columbus Zoo because they have manatees there. Um, oh, one of the, okay. the only zoos out there that does. But, yeah, it's interesting. I feel like there's a ton of Midwesterners in the, like, uh, marine science field. But, yeah, <laughs> you're so incredibly privileged to be able to see these. And, you know, I've had different family members and friends come out that have, you know, just, like, reminded me, of, like, of that because I'm surrounded by whale people all the time and, you know, I, we're so spoiled and we're like, oh, you know, the whales didn't, you know, do a whole lot today or whatever. And there's people that they just see them one time and it's like, you know, it's, it's super spiritual. And that's what happened with me. I came out here to visit the whales and then um, I fell in love with them and I was like, I got to move out here. And I just yeah. like, made it happen and found a naturalist job. And I've, I continue to be inspired and surprised by these animals every single time that I see them. Uh, and they're so different. And, you know, the one thing I think is so interesting is that they have the unique cultures and languages um, and, you know, for me, I've just been trying to figure out the answer to the question of what makes us human, like what differentiates us from other animals, because it seems like, you know, they all have cultures, languages, struggles, and go through the experiences that we define as human. Um, and I'm starting to think that it's just ego. <laughs> I think that's what makes us human. Um, but I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. They're so, like, you know, we need to, like connect to them more and have more people connect to them because like that's just such a uh, a valuable experience and they're so ingrained in the culture here and like the lummy people as well like you know there's been a lot of history with that also so it's just it's fascinating that's all it is it really is and I think you're you're on to something with the ego um and it may be you know something like our ability to fear and get stuck in that. Yeah. Something with our mind and how it, you know, ruminates on things because whales don't do that. I mean, the closest thing we've seen is with um, Tahlequah carrying mm-hmm. her dead calf for 17 days. Right. And that's almost unheard of in the whale world. Right. And as soon as she did that, you know, she was back to herself. Yeah. She was out there frolicking with her family. Yeah. And so, you know, we wouldn't do it that way. Yeah. We I would live in that fear and that sadness and that grief. We would stick there. Stick it. Yeah. I I definitely think we have an issue of, like, finding the balance to, to move on from those hardships um, because, like, either people sit in it or they don't deal with it. And I think that that's a perfect example of, you know, she took the time that she needed to grieve and then she moved on and she was okay. And that's something that we should carry in as well. Cause it's easy to get caught up in those emotions or not even start to have those emotions at all. Um, and I think we can look to these whales for, you know, solving problems in our own lives on a personal level, but also on an environmental level as well. Of, mm-hmm. You know, we need to adapt. We need to change. I like, that's what life is. It's challenges and trials. It's just, you know, these animals, I think, honestly, are more evolved emotionally than we are. I, you know, I theorize that a lot of that is connected to breath um, because of they're conscious of their breath. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Again, how do you study that? I don't know. 
Yeah, that's one of those things that you can't really put uh, quantity on or, you know, quantify in any way. So that is harder, but I think that is something. I mean, mm-hmm. if you, you know, study the spiritual mystics, that's what they talk about, mm-hmm. breath. And water is so emotional and they're living in it. And, you know, water carries emotion like that. Um, Emoto, I think his name was, Nasuru Emoto or something like that. Mm-hmm. Japanese um, scientists who studied um, crystals in the water and he took photographs and he... Um, he had a little bottle of water that he labeled hate and he labeled one love and he would send that emotion to each bottle of water, whatever it was labeled. And then he took pictures of the crystals and the hate one, it isn't, it doesn't even form a crystal. It's just all, it can't even form, but the love one, you know, forms this just exquisite geometry yeah, And he did that across all kinds of emotions. And so, you know, I think there is something to that. Water carries emotion. So. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's fascinating, too. I've seen that, you know, different people have done that with fruit and, like, other plants and, like, you know, the negative emotions or the negative energies cause things yeah. to rot and then other things grow. And that's just, you know, that's another interesting thing as well. I think that we get so detached from, you know, our spirituality and being connected to nature. And we're all connected in that. And I think, you know, even as scientists, sometimes we get disconnected from the spiritual side of things. And it's just as important. And, you know, as scientists who want to know everything, I feel like it's not crazy to, you know, be curious about those things and, you know, try to study them as well. But you know, that could be another lesson to carry into it, too, with trying to save the whales is, like, compassion. Um, and I think that there's just so many themes that we're, you know, we're getting from these animals. And, you know, for me, this is a mission to go and try to save them. But maybe, like, the lessons that I, we're learning from them are going to save us. I don't know. I think that's a really good point. <laughs> I would agree with that, actually. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing. Well, and I, you know, I think intention is also so important. And I've watched this with the different whale populations because when I started all this back in the 90s, there was about 3,000 humpback whales in the North Pacific. And so, you know, I went out there on the whale watch boats and I shared my love of whales with people. And I hope that, you know, people went and loved the whales then. And now there's 30,000 humpback whales in the North Pacific. And so it feels almost like there is something to our intention. And we, you know, when Tahlequah carried her calf, we sent all this love and all this intention toward the whales. And now they come back and they look like they're doing much better. So there is something to that that I we're not connecting with we don't see you know it's something we can't see it's something we can't measure and so we don't value it but I think it is really a value mm-hmm. yeah absolutely it's like definitely like setting those intentions for sure and I think that that's something that we 
you know, have to adapt to as well as like being okay with not knowing um, and having faith. But it's interesting just to see those things. And I think that stems back to what you were saying of we should just have hope, you know, because while it does look all doom and gloom, if we all put those good intentions out there, maybe something will happen. Um, well, I, I can't spend much time in fear. And so, you know, all the fear porn that is, you know, out in the society, you know, in the, in the media and all that, I really resist all, and I don't even resist it. I just don't even go there. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't spend any time in that whatsoever because it's, it's devastating. And, um, I just refocus myself on my intentions and the hope that I have and trust that these animals can survive this. Yeah. Because yeah. nature is, you know, we don't know, we don't know as much as we think we do, I don't think. <laughs> oh, agreed. There's no way we could because if you think about the history of nature holistically, you know, it's been around millions of years, but, um, you know, here, like we've only been studying nature for, I don't know, maybe hundreds. Like there's no way we can know. Right. Um, and I think that we need to like try to connect back with our roots. And I think that, you know, we could better understand nature by connecting with communities who are still really ingrained in that. And I feel like you see a lot more happiness, at least in my experience, I've had a lot of um, privileges to go and travel to different countries because I got scholarships and whatnot. But I've seen that, in a lot of those poor countries that are surrounded by nature, you know, they seem to be happier, like living off the land. And I think there's something mm-hmm. about like you giving those intentions to the land and it giving it back to you. And, you know, we just need to reconnect to nature. Yeah. And it's just like, how do we do that? It's a battle. And, you know, I think that a lot of this is coming to light. We're having like a second wave of a green movement with Greta Thornburg, you know, and everything going on with that. Um, but, yeah, you're absolutely right. We have to keep trying and not focus on the negative because I think that that's what, you know, people want to do. Like, biologically, I think that we're ingrained to do that. Um, Tara Brock, she is someone that um, has a Ph.D. in, like, psychology and studies meditation, and she was saying that, that, you know, um, humans are biologically ingrained to go negative or look for what's wrong. And I think we can combat a lot of our issues socially, politically, environmentally, you know, personally with positivity and good intentions. Um, so I think that's a really important um, perspective that you brought up. Yeah, well, I, I think the, benev- the universe is benevolent, and we have forgotten that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we do. We just go automatically to the negative, but that is a learned behavior. We can, we can work through that, and we can shift that in our own selves. Yeah, can unlearn it for sure. Yeah, yep. And it's difficult. I think we're just so averse to like accepting challenges and we, you know, we have to remember that that's like what's important. That's how we learn. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen if we take the dams down and that's a challenge, but that's something, you know, that I think that it would be worthwhile pursuing and, you know, learning from those, the mistakes that we've made in the past and trying to make it better and just like learning in general, constantly trying to learn instead of getting stuck in, you know, some spot. I think that's what we need to do for these animals. And, you know, that's what they're doing. And I think that, you know, we can look to them for answers on how to save them or, you know, ourselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I think that we do have some evidence of what happens when you take down the dams. And I think mm-hmm. the Elwha Dam is a really great example of that. I mean, they, they spent several years taking that dam down, but the salmon 
were in there, as soon as they completed what they were going to do, the salmon were in there the next week. Mm-hmm. Because it's in their DNA to go up that river. And they've been blocked for 100 years. But mm-hmm. they still knew to go up that river. And they were seeing salmon with, you know, scraping out their reds, mm-hmm. you know, the next week. And yeah. that's that, I mean, the resilience of salmon is a whole thing in itself. I mean, they have, it, it, they evolved that way because the land was still evolving as they were evolving. They're such an old species mm-hmm. that, you know, they had to learn to find another route up the river because it would get blocked by a volcano flowing down through it or, you know, whatever happened, um, they had to find a way and they're mm-hmm. extremely resilient and so these little dams that have been here for, you know, 50 years, that's nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they'll absolutely. just go right back. They'll just go right back. So yeah. I think it is, it is worth doing. I think, um, yeah, all the, yeah. all the, all the information that we have points to the fact that it would only be beneficial. Yeah, I agree with that. And I was like, that was one of my frustrations was, um, you know, that it looked like it made the most sense. And, like, obviously it's not going to be a perfect system and people are going to be upset. You're never going to find something that pleases everyone. So we have to compromise. But I read an, an article by the Seattle Times, um, and there were some people in there that were saying that, like, you know, if you go down there, you're going to, like, anybody that goes down there and sees it, will agree that it's not a good idea to take the dams down. And so I was like, all right, you know, I'll go down there and take a look. And like, you know, I only saw one out of the four lower snake rivers, but it was very frustrating to me because a lot of the arguments, they use the dams for like, you know, um, energy. And as I was driving with my friend down, you know, um, to the lower east um, part of Washington, we see wind farms everywhere. And then we go down to the dam and, you know, um, they're saying that, you know, they need the, the navigation to be able to transport wheat and all this other stuff. And right next to the dam is a railroad track. And I'm just like, you know, there, there's definitely options. And I went down there and I talked to people and like, you know, this article was saying, oh, like once you see it, you're going to understand why it's not a good idea. And I completely disagree. I think it's still a good idea. I think that there are people that are going to be unhappy, but I, you know, with the money that we'll save and like, the fact that we can, you know, make up for the energy, like, you know, there's a surplus of renewable energy in the Pacific Northwest. We are so fortunate for that. And it could easily be replaced, like, right away. Um, I just think we have to make some kind of compromise. And, like, you know, we can put the money back into those communities. Um, and we just got to figure out something. We need to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a... It's a tricky one because humans are involved, but it is solvable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely is. And you just got to, like, try to approach it the best way that we can, you know, put those good intentions in. And, you know, if we're looking at it, you know, scientifically and economically and socially, it makes sense. So just got to figure something out. Um, so hopefully on this journey, I can talk to different people and gain some more insight on how we can do that. Because it seems like there's so many people putting that energy out there. Maybe eventually we'll, we'll be able to break through somehow. But I, like, I felt like, you know, like you were saying, everybody's got to contribute and you put your books out there. And I'll even carry copies of your book in my backpack and, like, pass them out to people. I'll tell people, like, you need to read this because, you know, everyone connects to things differently. 
Um, and there's a lot of photographers and whatnot out here and like people are able to connect through photos, but I felt like we were lacking, um, like a podcast or something. There's different podcasts. Yeah. It's a really good idea. Nothing. So I was like, all right, this is how I'm personally going to contribute to this. And, you know, I don't want to just yell into the void because that gets nothing done. So I think, you know, I'm trying to investigate and figure out, you know, illustrate to people how these whales impacted other people's lives. Um, but also, you know, that they're not different and like the issues that they face that we need to help them. Um, so those are just my thoughts. Um, but we'll just see what happens. <laughs> Hopefully we yeah. can find something. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen. That's the thing that, you know, it could, you could take that one of two ways. You could take that, oh my God, we don't know what's going to happen. But we could also say, we don't know what's going to happen. That yeah. could be a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Like we don't know everything. Yeah. So I I take this, you know, it's a fine line, but I try to take the stance of, you know, it's a hopeful thing. Absolutely. And, you know, there's power in not knowing. And if, you know, we just need to get rid of that fear, like you were saying, like saying, and not get stagnant in it, you know, and just like, yeah. you know, make an effort and it's not easy. And, you know, if we just show compassion, I think, to those communities of people that don't want their culture to change, that, you know, we can still grow and learn. I think it would be worthwhile if we could, you know, because like they were saying, if you go down to the dams, you're not going to want to take them down. But I think if they were to come up here and they were to see whales, I don't know how many of those people have seen killer whales, you know, because they're in the middle of a desert. Um, So I maybe trying to connect to them that way or something. Um, but I think we just need to find compromise and we can do that through compassion and, you know, getting rid of fear, not being stagnant in it, embracing that there's changes that we don't know. Yeah. So those are just my thoughts. Um, I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts or things that you want to contribute? Um, things you think people should know? Well, um, like I said, land-based whale watching is so available to us here um, in the Puget Sound, and I, there's a couple of different places that we can research that. There's the Whale Trail. They've um, uh, put up different spots and different information around the sound. Um, and then there's Orca Network that has a sighting network and, you know, a website where people can go and see where the whales are. And so get out there and see whales if you can. They're amazing. They're magical. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely worth it. And I think so many people's lives would be changed. Like the first time I saw a whale, I was brought to tears. I was like sobbing on a boat. I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, it's interesting. And there have been other times too that I've seen whales and like it's brought up those emotions. It's not sadness or anything. It's just like, there's something about them. There's an energy, you know, that they put out into the world or that they have intrinsically. I don't know, but they're definitely magical for sure. Yeah. But I, you know, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. I, you know, I'll start out with a couple of questions and then just like see where the conversation goes. So, you know, I think that what you have to say is really impactful and really valuable. And I'm hoping, you know, some people will listen to it and think the same thing and maybe it'll inspire them to go do something. But I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Well, thank you for reaching out. It's been fun. Yes, absolutely. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. Okay, you too. All right. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to the third episode. I've been contacted by a few listeners with questions and plan to devote an episode to answering those questions um, sometime in the coming weeks. If you have any questions or anything else that you'd like to contribute, please contact us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at www.breachingextinction.com. On the website, you can find more resources um, on killer whales, uh, southern residents specifically, and you can participate in a discussion forum. Thanks again for joining and have a whale of a day.